What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Uh, so today we conclude our Lenten series on Simon Peter, a flawed but faithful disciple of Jesus. We've journeyed over many weeks looking at some of the most significant events of the Bible that feature Simon Peter. From his initial call to follow Jesus to walking on water with Jesus, Peter seems to constantly be taking two huge steps forward and then one enormous step backwards over and over. He does something great and then he bungles in. He is the first to declare Jesus the Messiah Israel had been waiting for. And then he rebukes Jesus, prompting the Lord to tell Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Last week we saw Simon Peter restored after having denied Jesus three times. Jesus tells him, If you love me, feed my sheep. So today we are going to look at a few of the highlights of Simon Peter's life after Jesus. Did he feed the sheep? Did he remain faithful to Jesus all those years later. Let's find out with our scripture for today. Uh, Sal is going to read for us from Acts chapter 15. This is a book of the Bible that tells the history and acts of the disciples over many years. To this point, Peter has preached to thousands, and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Many miracles have occurred, including raising a dead woman back to life, and he has a vision that leads him to believe that Jesus did not come for just the Jewish people. He wants all people to be saved. That's where we come to today's passage. There is this hardline group of Christians that say you have to follow the Jewish practices to be a Christian, including circumcision. So they come to Peter, the rock of the church, and they ask for his answer. What does it really mean to be a Christian? This is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. The council at Jerusalem. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belong, who belongs to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and order to keep the law of Moses. 
The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he had made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestor nor we have been able to hear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. May our Lord Almighty Father God bless this reading and hearing of these holy words today. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts as we consider the way of life you have for us. Open us to your Holy Spirit today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was a teenager, one of the first jobs I had was working in a grocery store. I didn't realize it at first, but in order to work there, you were obligated to join with all the other workers in their labor union. This is what's known as a closed shop. To be employed there, you must be in the union, and that didn't sit well with me at all. I hated the idea of being forced into a union, and even more, I hated how people who seemed to me to be bad employees would regularly be defended by the union and get, the, get to keep their jobs even when they did things that they could have been fired for. It just didn't make any sense to me. There are, of course, benefits to labor unions. Unions helped establish an eight-hour workday and the weekend things we think of today as a right for all employees. When basic needs aren't met, you can go on strike and work together to get things that matter to you. Strikes can gather huge crowds together. Sometimes they're like parties on the side of the road to call out bad behavior of their employers. That reminds me a little of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But anyways, what I didn't know when I was a kid was that unions were on the decline. And the U.S. unions went from about 35% of all workers in the 60s to just 10% today. You might not realize that from all the news we've been hearing. Last week, Amazon got its first union. My hometown of Buffalo had the first unionized Starbucks uh, just a few months ago. It seems like unions are on the rise. A recent survey said 70% of people have a positive view of unions. And maybe that shouldn't surprise us. Not only will average wages get you less than it did in the 1970s, 
With the pandemic, people are not only worried about their finances, they're also worried about their lives. They need something bigger than themselves to help protect them. Rugged American individualism simply won't cut it. This is true for all of us in some ways. We all hit points in life where we simply cannot handle everything that is coming our way. Sometimes it's health concerns and we need a doctor or a hospital to help us. Sometimes it's family life and we need support to handle the struggles in our relationships with parents or spouses or children. I think of one person who came to visit me recently. The burden of health concerns and some of the struggles family members were going through can be so much to carry. I was glad we could take some time to talk about what was happening and to pray together to help ease the burden. Usually, though, when we, uh, what we want is for the pain and suffering to go away, right? We want someone or something to simply erase the pain as though it never existed. I know sometimes when people ask me to pray for them, that's what they are asking for. They want God to miraculously make their suffering disappear, And I don't deny that God sometimes does do that, but it's a miracle for a reason. It is outside of the natural, normal order, so it is, by nature, incredibly rare. Others, when they are struggling, will look to the future. I've been doing this a lot lately. I have student loan debt from college and graduate school I've been carrying around for 10 or 15 years. And uh, the government, they have this program where public servants can have their loans forgiven after 10 years of service. Uh, They just changed the rules over the summer after realizing that they have inappropriately excluded church workers from this program. So I turned in all my paperwork. I'm all excited to have that debt disappear, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Finally, I hear back from them, and they say, oh, you made one teeny tiny little mistake on your application, so we're closing your file. Sorry, try again later. So I make, I fix the mistake, I apply again, and now I am waiting and waiting and waiting all over again. I know in just six months, my finances could look completely different to how they look now. But whatever financial burdens I have now, down the road, they're going to be gone one way or another. I'm doing the same thing, uh, thinking about the future when it comes to challenging relationships in my life too. I keep thinking, don't worry. Just keep working and doing the right thing, and it'll be fine down the road. And that very well may be true, but it doesn't get at the root of the problem, does it? When there is pain and suffering and difficulties in life, we often try to avoid it. But Simon Peter, he gives us a very different example. He shows us how to go right at the problem. In Acts 15, the church has found themselves with a huge issue. Some people are convinced that if you are not Jewish, you cannot be a Christian. If you want to follow Jesus, then you have to convert to Judaism first and follow all of their traditions. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and was a fierce defender of these people who were converting to Christianity, said, no way, that's not how it works. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. That's the only requirement. So he comes to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem to get their final answer. 
What is required of people who convert? Do they have to be circumcised and follow Jewish laws or not? Now, we might not be wrestling with this exact question today, but the same kind of division and polarization that was happening back then, the same thing is happening today. It's happening in our world today. We are finding all kinds of new ways to divide ourselves, to separate us from each other, to decide who is in and who is out. Whether it's politics or race or culture wars, all kinds of things split us apart and we argue over who is right and who is wrong and who God loves and who God despises. Back in the book of Acts, Peter up to this point has not been firm in his answer of this big question that's dividing everyone. Just a few chapters before in Acts, which is at least a couple of years before today's passage, Peter shared a vision he had of a sheet coming down from heaven and God saying, take and eat of the animals that are on the sheet. And Peter says, no, they are unclean. These animals cannot be eaten. It's forbidden by Jewish law. And God responds, don't call unclean what I have declared clean. Peter understands this to mean both Jews and non-Jews are clean to God. But there is so much conflict in the church, he just can't commit to what he knows is right. In Galatians chapter 2, another book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul, we get a glimpse of this. Paul stands up in front of everyone gathered there and tells Peter, he says, Hey, why is it okay that you can eat with us and live like the non-Jewish people while you're here, but when you go back to Jerusalem, you treat us like second-class citizens? That is not right. We see once again that Peter has fouled up. Even as he leads the entire Christian church after Jesus, he is not perfect. He is just like you and me, making mistakes time and again. But the thing that he gets right is that he doesn't give up. He doesn't admit defeat and simply disappear. He keeps working, trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How do we handle these disagreements? How do we care for each other and get through these immense struggles that face us? When Paul is there in front of all the leaders of Jerusalem asking the biggest question this young Christian community will ever face, Peter finally gets it right. He says, God who knows the human heart testified to these non-Jews by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts, by faith he has made no distinction between them and us. They are the beloved of God, just like you and me. We aren't supposed to divide ourselves up by politics or race. We don't turn away from someone looking for a seat at the table just because we don't see eye to eye. We welcome them in. We love them. We see that in so many ways they are like us. Peter ends his speech on this huge controversy with one final word. He says, we all know we can never perfectly keep God's law. We will all fall short of God's glory. 
So keeping the law can never be the thing that saves us. We can't live a good life to get us into heaven. The only thing that can ever save us is God's grace. And that grace is for us, and it's for everyone. It's for all the people we meet. And praise God for that. As much as I'd like to think that I am a good person doing good things in this world, that's not enough. I only get there because God chooses to have mercy on me, and I simply accept it. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Make me right, even though far too often I am wrong. This group of Christ followers is realizing that the goal all along was not to be born into the right group. It was to be a blessing to the whole world. That's all the way back in Genesis with Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everyone, not just the people who look like you or think like you, everyone. God has made a way through Jesus for the whole world to be blessed. Now you might be saying, but Brian, I'm suffering here, okay? How can I be a blessing when there is so much pain around me? Pain can move us in two fundamentally different directions. Have you ever had a problem that was so big you just stopped talking to other people? You withdrew into yourself? I know I do that sometimes. I think of a, a woman who I, I know from years ago. She had a husband that was dying. Her husband made her swear to him that she would not tell anyone about his sickness. He didn't want anyone's pity or their offers of help. He wanted to die on his own terms. But for her, not talking about that pain tore her up inside. She held this secret that nearly destroyed her. And it took years for her to even begin to process all the pain that she had been keeping stored up inside of her. But there's a very different direction we can go in with our pain. Instead of carrying it on our own, we can share that with God and with others. Jesus came to this earth not to be celebrated as a king, but to suffer right alongside us and to show in a concrete fashion we are not alone in our pain. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and even to die. But that is not the end for him or for us. There is a transformation that can happen in every single one of us. Peter looked squarely at this divided Christian community trying to impose rules that were impossible to follow. And he said, God gives us his grace. None of us are meant to be alone. We all have this opportunity to be a part of a church community that is filled with love and hope and will rally around any one of us. Whatever suffering you are going through, God is here. And God picked us to be your church family, your community of faith that will stand by your side through anything and everything. You know, Temple University in the city of Philadelphia, 
they put together a project a few years ago. It was called The Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. The school did some research and found out that there were thousands of broken instruments across the city that were no longer in working order. Some of them only needed modest repairs. Others were severely damaged. But none of them could be played the way that they were intended to be. So the university put out the word they were going to collect as many of these instruments as they could. They would raise as much money as they could and put on a one-time performance using that broken equipment. Hundreds volunteered to perform, one as young as 12 years old. Some were masters performing regularly in the city's symphony. When they took the, the stage, each musician found a unique and creative way to play their instrument despite the damage. You would not believe the incredible, beautiful sounds they were able to extract from what others would consider garbage. We are posting on our church's Facebook page a link to the video that talks about this project and gives you a taste of the sound, but I don't want you to miss this. When broken instruments are placed in the hands of the master, beautiful music can still come out. So why not put your life, with all of its brokenness and strife, into the hands of the master? So your life can be a symphony that brings glory to God. As A.W. Tozer, a famous pastor, once said, 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. We are never more in tune with each other, blessing one another, as God calls us to, than when our lives are all tuned to Jesus Christ. I want to end our time together with a brief clip from the Bible study some of us have been doing together throughout the season of Lent. I know a few folks did this study previously, but the rest of you are really missing out. We've been seeing the specific locations where Jesus and Simon Peter traveled, including the Sea of Galilee and the Upper Room in Jerusalem. This clip, which the full video the study group will see later today, shows the place where Simon Peter spent his last days. In it, some might see defeat, but for those who see a blessing in any and all circumstances, no matter what suffering we might be going through, we can see a triumph that can inspire us all. Let's watch as Adam Hamilton takes us to Rome. Uh, this is the place where tradition says Paul was uh, kept before he was ex executed, and at another time, uh, Peter kept before he was executed. So his final days before he was executed at the circus uh, near present St. Peter's is uh, were spent here. So let's go on down. So this is the most dramatic place to come in the city of Rome if you're following the apostles Peter or Paul. This is the Mamertine prison and the tradition is that Peter sat here who knows days, weeks, months before his execution. And I picture him sitting in the darkness, his friends lowering food through the hole in the ceiling. And I picture the humble fisherman from Galilee in the darkness, once again, trusting Jesus and saying, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. And this time with the courage to know that when they came to execute him, 
that he wouldn't turn back, he wouldn't deny his faith, he would continue to follow Jesus to the end. And as you recall, he, in the end, asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord would die. So when I come here, I love to sit in the darkness and just pray and picture Peter or picture Paul sitting in this prison cell. And I think of his courage at the end and his faithfulness that though he had failed the Lord on multiple occasions, in the end, he remained steadfast and he became the great shepherd of the church on earth. Faith means supporting people even when you disagree. It's loving people even when they tick you off. But it's also working through the pain, transforming it into something beautiful. The church in our broken community aspiring to follow Jesus is better than any labor union or tribe or group of friends. It is the kingdom of God here on earth. I love the lyrics from the hymn of promise. In our death a resurrection, at the last a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. With our human limitations, we can't see what God will do with this incredible yet broken community. Like Peter, though, we can transcend our conflicts and the pain that surrounds us by placing our trust in Jesus and leaning on the very best of what our faith tradition has to offer. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that God has not finished with us yet. There is always more for God to do in us and through us. The Lord simply invites us to open ourselves to the blessing we can be when the grace of God is at work in us. No matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter the circumstance we find ourselves in. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.